Hi everyone, this is Steve Johnson, and welcome to PBV Pod. Today, I am with Nicole Bickham. How are you doing, Nicole? I'm doing well, thanks for asking. Okay, Nicole, uh, before we get started, why don't you go ahead and just tell where you were, grade level, and all that good stuff. Okay, um, I teach first grade at Old River School for 24 years. 24 years? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay, <laughs> well, um, I, I can say that my daughter was in her classroom and loved it. And I loved her. And so um, you've got a lot of great experience. And just being in your room is like walking into a Pinterest board. Well, thanks. So I feel like I'm in a Pinterest board right now because it looks so amazing. Well, but, thank you. But okay, so let's get into it. Sure. So what is your favorite aspect about first grade? Well, clearly I like first grade because I've done it for so many years. Right. And I've had people ask why I haven't changed, and I think why should I when I love it so much? Mm -hmm. And some of the reasons I love it so much are I think first grade is so unique in that you can actually see the learning take place. It's a vis visual process. They can come in not knowing letters or sounds and leave reading. And I actually had a student that did that this year, and it was so exciting to see that, not knowing any letter recognition, and she read to the class two weeks ago. Oh, wow. So cool. I think that is a beautiful thing. I think that um, they're fun, and I love their honesty. Um, I had a student a few years ago who came in, and I wasn't feeling so well, so I said to the class, you know, I'm so sorry, I'm not feeling so well. And his hand shot up, and he said, it's okay, Mrs. Bickham, you look like a million bucks. <laughs> and another yeah. student quickly raised his hand and said, don't you think a million bucks is a little too much? <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate their humor. Yeah. I think they're fun and honest. Uh -huh. um, I think that they are um, loving and kind. Um, we do a musical at the beginning of the year every year called One Big Happy Family. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like that's what we are in first grade. We really are one big happy family. Um, and I, that's why I love it so much. Cool. All right. So what is one thing you'd like to tell teachers who work uh, one grade level before you. So for TK teachers and kindergarten teachers, what's some um, some wisdom or some advice or something you want them to know about first grade? Um, I think the most important thing to tell them would be thank you because they set all the groundwork before the kids come to me. Mm -hmm. um, they train them, they teach them, they prepare them, uh, they go above and beyond for the kids who need it. Um, they set the stage for the learning that I'm going to do. Um, and I think sometimes it's, we can often say, well, could you please do this? We need you to teach them this. And I think we can never blame the grade before us for anything that our children don't know, or we have to go way back to birth. And so I just want to thank them for what they do so that it makes what I do easier. Okay. And what is one thing or two or three, you'd like to tell teachers who work one grade level after you. So that could be second grade, but even third, fourth, and, and so on, if there's anything you'd like to share. Um, first thing I would say is I'm really sorry about pencil position. <laughs> <laughs> because that is a habit that is almost impossible uh -huh. to break. Um, I think I would say if to a second grade teacher who receives students from me, please come and talk to me. Please share stories of success or ask what worked just to collaborate for kids because even though they move on to another grade I feel like they're still mine mm -hmm. and I want to hear how they're doing and um, if they have any questions about um, their families or what makes them 
um, want to learn or how to learn, I would love to collaborate about that. Um, also, uh, just maybe positives about kids. I think sometimes as teachers, when we feel frustrated, we might say, oh, this kid does this and this. I would just love to hear the positives of what they're doing, that how they're being successful in their grade. That would make me really happy. Good. Okay, so next question. How do you think we can build strong collective teacher efficacy at schools throughout the district? Okay, so that is a really big question. A really big question. And collective teacher efficacy um, was coined by John Hattie, Invisible Learning, which I have read that book a couple years ago. Um, and I wrote, I just wrote down some notes so that I could refresh my memory about it, but also I think things that are really good to share. Um, there are six areas that contribute to learning, student, home, school, curricula, teacher, and teaching and learning approaches. And what struck me about that is only one out of those six is home. Mm -hmm. And I think it is so easy for teachers to say, well, if they just did it at home, if the home was more supportive, if they would have read at home. And I think we have to remember that we can't control that, but we can control five out of six of those contributing factors. Um, working together as teachers, we know, is a huge impact on student learning. And John Hattie says that in the book, that it's the number one influence in student learning. And so as teachers, it's our responsibility to do that. And I think we do that through collaboration. Um, we're lucky to have the PLC time that we have so that we can, you know, meet with one another and find out best practice and what is best practice and how to get there um, and just share with one another. And um, as a district, I think it's great that we have buyback days to do that. Um, I hope that we'll have more professional development time to do that. Um, I think it's important in that collaboration to have strong grade level leaders at schools and district-wide um, that can help facilitate that or even, I mean, we are never beyond learning ourselves. I've learned so much from new teachers that I teach with and I think we just have to remember we are a collective community um, that collaborates um, and shares with one another to help kids learn. In addition, um, I would say teacher leadership. I think it's important that teachers have buy-in to what we're doing, um, that teachers um, feel part of decision-making and development for what children are going to learn. I think that when teachers feel like they have a part in those decisions, um, they're on board. Um, we need clear sets of goals. So we need challenging goals um, that we can measure. Um, so that we know that we're on the same page and that kids are learning and and we can look at that data and say if they're not learning and where we need to go from there and then I think it's super important to have responsive leadership and I think not just at a school site with principals I think that is really important but I think also um, district-wide that teachers voices are heard and how we are best helping our students to learn and that the leadership values our opinions and wants to listen to how we can make it better. And I think that is a big part of collective teacher efficacy. Um, we just have to be aware of all situations and we just need the support. And when teachers feel supported and valued, I think they're willing to do anything. Um, there is a quote by uh, Gail Dev Devers 
who's a third-time Olympic champion. She's the track and field gal that had the really long nails, and she would paint them. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and I have said this quote to my own children, um, even when they roll their eyes at me, mm-hmm. that every accomplishment starts with a decision to try. Mm-hmm. And I think collectively as teachers, we have to make the decision to try together mm-hmm. um, so that our kids can try. Mm-hmm. So I think working together, there is no better way. And years and years ago, you know, because I'm a dinosaur and I've been teaching 24 (laughs) years, years and years ago, we had a guest speaker at the Harvey Auditorium. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, you've all heard team, there's no I in team. Team stands for together, everyone accomplishes more. I think those things are so important to remember that we work smarter, not harder, and we work better together. There's a lot of great things you just said. Um, I just wanted to unpack the professional learning portion of it. We're going to have professional learning sessions this summer and throughout next year, of course. Uh, I I know we didn't talk about it in the pre-brief kind of that we did before this, but um, what what sessions would you like or are you... um, would you think would be good for your grade level and maybe for the district for all grade levels, even junior high? Right. Um, Specific to first grade, I think it's necessary to collaborate about benchmark. Mm -hmm. I think that implementation was huge and I think we've learned so much this year of what works and what doesn't and how to best use all the materials and support Mm -hmm. and meet those standards that we're striving for. So I think that is necessary. I mean, it can be a simple conversation like we're having now, what works and what doesn't, what did you find was beneficial and what's not. Mm -hmm. I think because technology is a huge thing. I think it is a necessary conversation um, for all grades, but if I'm speaking specifically to first on how it's most effectively used right. in first grade, because we can have all the tools we want, but we, should, we shouldn't just be playing games. We need to make those tools effective for our grade level. Right. Um, I think you can never go wrong with classroom management and organization. Mm-hmm. I think a huge piece is teaching in small group. And because Benchmark is written to teach in small group, I think that could be addressed across grade levels. Do you think small groups could be its own session, or do you think it should be embedded within learning? Like, like for example, let's say there's going to be a Benchmark session, and a portion of that is small group. Or um, you have an ELD session, or... Um, number talks or, or whatever right. and small group is kind of incorporated in that or do you think we could just say hey here's a small group session I think it could be done both ways um, in a typical day in first grade there are four different times in the day I'm teaching in small group right. one during walk to learn uh, during reading centers that we do every single day Um, during math centers that we do every single day, Mm -hmm. Um, and then ELD. So I think that's four examples in first grade that we're doing every single day, and I would think most grades were probably trying to tackle those. Um, But then we could do breakouts where what does small group look like in benchmark? Mm -hmm. And in my humble opinion, I think that is super important for all grades, all the way, because you can't teach benchmark effectively if you don't teach small groups. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. All right. What is the best way to encourage the use of data-driven instruction during PLC time? And of course, you'll be speaking from a first-grade teacher perspective. Sure. Um, but I think whatever you say could be applied probably TK through eighth grade. But but how do you do it uh, as your first-grade 
you know, as far as your first grade team is concerned? So I'm sure it's similar to other grades. We may not have as sophisticated as data as others do, but we look at weekly formative tests in reading and math. Um, we look at writing samples and compare um, where the kids are with rubrics. Um, we do a lot of progress monitoring with Dibbles to see um, how they're reading and retelling and how we need to refocus on that. Um, we compare teaching strategies and, and how lessons are taught and did checking for understanding. Are the kids understanding it or not? Of course, we look at Dibbles a lot um, and the progress throughout the year and breaking it down into not just the colors, but who's on the cusp of one, who needs something more strategic than others. So we do look at all that data all the time. And, um, you know, we have the data now, which is wonderful to use because it informs every bit of instruction. But I was thinking about this question and thinking, I mean, can you imagine baking a delicious dessert without a recipe? Or driving to a new location without Google Maps. Mm, I don't even know how to do it anymore. Or putting together IKEA furniture with no directions. Yeah. That can yeah. cause a lot of fights at home. Right. Yeah. So that's what it would be like to be teaching without using the data. Right. You really have to use it to, to check for understanding and see where we need to go. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. What book or books have you read or gifted lately? Okay. So my favorite educational book ever is Ron Clark's Move Your Bus. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I love this book so much is it describes what kind of people we have in the workplace and specifically in schools as educators. Right. So we have runners. We know runners consistently go above and beyond. We have joggers who do their job well without pushing themselves. Walkers are just getting the job done, just walking along. And then riders pick up their feet slowly and just ride the bus. Um, and then drivers, of course, are the leadership that drive the organization. But the reason I love this book is there's so many practical approaches in it to teaching, but it challenged me that I want, when someone hears those descriptions, I hope that they would say I was a runner mm -hmm. and that my goal is to run all the way to the finish line whenever I retire. I just want to always feel like I'm going above and beyond. Right. So it inspired me in that way. Um, and it's a very simple read. You can read it very quickly. As far, uh, have you spoken about the book with any other teachers? Yes. Like, do you reference drivers, runners? All the time. People and use that um, common vocabulary? All the time, including with my husband. Oh, we nice. even talk about it. Who um, is uh, Dan Bickham, yeah. principal at Miller Elementary. That's yes. right. Yes. Um, I've gifted it to student teachers or people who've worked in my class because I think it's, an, it's a great jumping off point for anyone starting in the profession right. um, and then I've given it to fellow teachers and you know just to encourage us to be runners and I know you don't feel like running every day mm -hmm. I mean there are certainly days I would ride and some days I would walk or jog but I hope collectively through my career and through each school year I could say I was a runner right. that's my goal Great. Uh, okay, now I see a second book here, too. Yes. So Ron Clark wrote Move Your Bus, and Ron Clark um, is known for the Ron Clark Academy in Atlanta, Georgia. He also wrote The Essential 55, many, many, many books. Um, but in 
move your bus, he refers to a teacher he knew he could go to for everything. She was a runner, and her name is Hope King. And she and her husband, Wade, teach at the Ron Clark Academy, and I actually got to meet her at a conference, and I was, as my girls call it, a fangirl. Oh, that's cool. Because I was so excited to meet her. But they together have written a book called The Wild Card. Okay. Um, and I'm actually going to their conference this summer called Get Your Teach On in San Diego. Oh, nice. Um, where they are going to present all of their thoughts about how to be a wild card. And the reason it's called a wild card is because in the game of life, Children have no control over the hand they're dealt. But you as the teacher are the wild card that can make a difference in your students' lives. Oh, that's a great way to put it. So I am in the process of reading this, and you can bet it'll get autographed at that conference that oh, I'm, I'm sure going to. But it's just another way to go above and beyond and, and reach kids. You need to get a selfie or an ussy with them. Too. I do. Yeah. I actually have a picture with Hope from the conference I was at. Oh, nice. Um, so I need to get a picture and glue it in these books. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's great. Both of those are two of my favorites. Okay, last question. What movie or documentary have you watched lately that, that would benefit teachers? Okay, um, I'm sure you've seen Rita Pearson's Every Child Deserves a Champion on TED Talk. I think we should watch that every year because we do need – to remember every child needs us to champion them. Um, but most recently, um, my daughter who's in college has been doing some research on um, adverse childhood experiences. So as teachers, and even we've just discussed the teaching part of our job, but something we're seeing a huge influx in is the behavior management in our job. And so trying to understand um, where kids are coming from and what they bring and how we can best help them is huge. And so uh, a couple years ago, Ed Black, who works in our district, um, talked to us about adverse childhood experiences. And it, it is defined as um, situations that happen to children um, that could cause childhood trauma and, and affect their ability to learn. But now there is research that is showing that these adverse childhood experiences actually affect the health of adults and can shorten lifespans. So there's a TED Talk by Dr. Nadine Burke, and she addresses ACEs, is what they're called, adverse childhood experiences, and how we can look at it um, to better serve our children. And one of the things that you hear teachers say all the time is, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? And we need to reframe that to what's happened to them. And so um, through the research, we've seen the effects on how we deal with children and how we react to them. Today, it is certainly not the same as it was when I started teaching. Um, so there's a lot of research on that that I've been looking at. And along with that, um, also some research on um, the effects of screen time on children's behavior. There's a term called virtual autism. There's a doctor in New Zealand who coined that phrase and has done extensive research on it. I think it's fascinating to see what screen time and electronics and how that effect is is affecting the learning of our kids. Um, I actually had a, a conference with a parent this year that I thought that overexposure to screen time was greatly affecting the child. Mm. And I asked them to withdraw electronic screen time. It was crazy how we saw a change in him. Oh, and he was more present with us and, and able to converse and be with us rather than before where he seemed trapped in his own world. Right. Um, so I think the research on both of those things is huge right now. So I've been really interested in that. Um, I did actually, the 
one thing on my list to take a peek at is the documentary Race to Nowhere. Mm-hmm. Fascinating research on the pressures we're putting on kids in school right. and how there's a specific story in it on how it can actually make children physically sick. And so we've got to, while we're looking at data and teaching children, also be aware we, we of the pressure we might be putting on them. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that is wonderful. And I... I I totally agree about the screen time. I can see it with my own children, especially my son. Uh, his behavior is so much better mm-hmm. when it's limited. Yeah. And um, to just kind of let them run free with devices, whether it's a Nintendo Switch or an iPad or whatever, right. uh, really you know, coming down, taking it away, Making him only on on the weekends has helped so much as far as his behavior, listening to us, and just being engaged with what's going on. And plus, you always want to see kids playing outside. Sure, sure. And with their with their sibling or, you know, just getting that socialization. Isn't it ironic, though, that in the age of where we are using so much technology in the classroom, we're now seeing some of the effects of it that we need to be cognizant of as as we teach kids and at home. Well, and I think even... for us adults too. I yes. Mean, I think we adopted so much social media, yes. uh, smartphones, and now we're starting to figure out, okay, what do we want to incorporate into our lives? Right. What is beneficial? You know, to me personally, f- what might work for me might not work for someone else and vice right. versa. Right. Uh, so we're, we're kind of just figuring that all out we sure are. as a society. Yeah, we sure are. All right, Nicole. Well, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure for me, too.